I'm John Kane, and this is Resistance Radio. I want to thank you for joining me. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about radio today. I'm actually preempted in, in New York City today on WBAI, although I'm still broadcasting on WPFW. And of course, <clears throat> we are still streaming live on Facebook, and we uh, will put this show up as a podcast. What they're doing on WBAI is they're talking about media. And the state of media is, is kind of what they're doing. And, and I didn't submit a detailed account of, what, of doing a program along those lines. So, uh, so they've got something in my, in my time slot. By all means, check out what WBAI is doing um, uh, at your leisure. Obviously, there's, you know, everything's archived. Um, but I wanted to address media because, you know, there's a lot of confusion. I mean, what are we even calling media these days? I mean, we hear things like, mainstream media. Well, when we hear that, are we only talking about news? Are we only talking about the, the talking heads on television or, you know, the NPR? I mean, what, what, when, we, when we talk about mainstream media, what, what are we even talking about? Because if we take a little bit of a stroll back in time here, we're going to realize that, that media wasn't just news. It was everything. It was television. It was film. It, were, it was books. It was magazines. It was newsprint. Of course, now we have social media. We have smart speakers and smartphones. We've got, uh, we've got, of course, we've got news. And news has now become more uh, in the entertainment field now. I mean, now it's about ratings. It's about who your advertisers are and that kind of stuff. So, so even news isn't the same today as it was, you know, say 30 years ago. Uh, so, and, and look, I'm, I'm saying this stuff not as a complaint against media, just, as, just to kind of acknowledge what it is. But, you know, because when we talk about print media, for instance, I mean, as, as kids growing up, we only had a limited amount of, um, you know, of television. We, we, we went to school and it was, you know, it was television after the fact. We might have gone to a, to a movie, you know, once every, once a month or you know every couple of months or and that kind of stuff. Now we're inundated with all kinds of media because we have it on our phone, we have it on our smart speaker, we you know we we've got it on our laptop, we've got it on our our, our tablets, you know we we've got everything from YouTube to uh, Instagram to you know TikTok. We've we've got all different kinds of media. And, you know, we're, we're calling it social media, but a lot of it is, is us just staring at the screens. Now, in doing so, we are taking in information. Sometimes it's not good information. Sometimes it's, it's false information. It's, you know, it, we end up comparing um, all of the stuff that we're taking in sometimes to ourselves. So we get involved in what people call body shaming and, and, and all kinds of other stuff. But we also end up being uh, not just spectators, but participants in what is being called now culture wars. Uh, and, and maybe that uh, expression existed before, but now it's kind of a, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a bigger deal. And because now culture wars has entered into politics. And in that culture war, you've got certain um, uh, media platforms that are, 
on the right or on the left, or they try to say that they're fair and balanced and, 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 and rarely are they ever. I mean, even, you know, even National Public Radio, NPR, which people would like to claim doesn't get into the culture wars, but they're absolutely involved in the culture wars. I mean, I, I give a perfect example of my own experience here with, um, uh, with the local NPR station, have, trying to have a conversation about native issues with, um, with the, the, the local NPR affiliate is, is difficult. And I honestly thought we had pierced the veil. I thought we'd gotten to a point where perhaps we were going to have a meaningful conversation about racism as it applies to, to native people. Then some lunatic comes from some small town in the southern tier of New York up to, uh, up to Buffalo and shoots up a Topps-friendly market and kills a bunch of black people, injures a few more. And now all of a sudden, racism is identified in this one white guy, this one white supremacist who does this act of hate um, against, you know, against a people he... He obviously, <laughs> obviously hated. And I literally had a local politician, and I mentioned this before on my show before, um, a politician, she's in state office, and um, her name is Crystal People Stokes. She literally told Senecas when they had come to Albany to talk to them about, about the difficulty they were having with, uh, with negotiating a gaming compact, and, and, and they attributed it to race and racism. And she literally told the Senecas, here's a black woman who's been elevated into office, represents, you know, a, a Buffalo, an area of Buffalo, New York, and she tells a bunch of Senecas, don't you dare bring up racism after what happened to my people. Now, <clears throat> I haven't been able to have a conversation with anybody from WBFO, the, the local NPR affiliate, since. And... As I look at what NPR does with native programming addressing native issues, it is it's it's pretty paltry. And and to the extent that they cover issues, they always give the government narrative. So if they're going to talk about mercy, missing and murdered indigenous women, they'll, they'll they'll go to some government agency, perhaps the Interior Department. They're going to talk about residential school um, deaths and survivors. They're gonna they're they're going to go to a government official. There isn't a whole lot that gets covered. Look, I played a prominent role in getting the, a state the size of New York to ban native mascots. There wasn't a whole lot of conversation. NPR never called. The local, uh, the local NPR station never called. The national uh, NPR stations, nobody called. I, I take it back. Um, Brian Lehrer did, uh, did call me from, uh, from New York, and we did a brief. But, you know, even that coverage, that coverage ends up being about a, a particular school that is fighting the mascot ban. Not what is really our issue with being used for mascots. We don't even get to that part of the conversation unless I can somehow drag it out. And, and look, and if I do get interviewed by, by a radio station or a television station, they're looking for sound bites. And oftentimes they'll take them out of context. Uh, so when I think about the media as it exists within what people are calling news, radio, you know, uh, television, or print, cable, it's, it's pretty bad. It's, it's pretty bad. And 
but we, we have we live in a time now where we can create our own media. I can do a, po- a podcast. And, and again, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have the Pacifica stations on the East Coast here, WPFW in Washington, D.C. and WBAI, give me a space so I can give a native perspective on a media platform. And of course, then, like I said, I, I stream it on, on Facebook. I, I put it on, um, I put it up as a podcast. But let's be honest, I'm on the stations that have probably the smallest percentage of listenership in both Washington, D.C. And, and New York. Now, is that small percentage of listenership because of my programming? No, no. There's, there's a lot of things that are working against traditional radio. Um, obviously, I mentioned some of these things, social media. I mean, newspapers have struggled. Many of them, most local newspapers are gone. Much of the local news broadcasts are gone. So we see the dynamic uh, as far as news uh, goes, when it com- or as far as media goes. But again, we're backfilling with all of this other, you know, amateur um, media that gets out there. And, but, you know, but again, let me, let me go backwards again and, and talk about what traditional media, and I don't mean just news, what, what film has done from a Native perspective. We, we, there was this stereotype created about what a Native people were. Everything you ever saw on television was, was cowboys and Indians, literally. You know, it was always viewing Native people through the lens of a people who no longer exist. Television, same thing. Books, the same thing. When, when they teach, even, even history books in school, when children are taught history, Native history, it's, it's like a timestamp of 200 years ago. And, and I suspect for us on the, on the east coast uh, of Turtle Island, the eastern side of Turtle Island, we have to go back to, you know, to what, what is contact, which is different for us than, let's say, for the, the Lakota and the Dakota and the, and the, the, the uh, um, Diné and, and so many other Native peoples out west where the, the violent wars that uh, transpired, especially um, before and after the, the U.S. Civil War. I mean, it's, you look at how we, were, how we have been portrayed throughout American history. We're always portrayed as, as the people of the past. So nobody even knows who we are contempor- as far as contemporary people. I mean, I just got asked, and, and, I'm, and I'm glad to have been asked to, uh, to speak at a museum a small local museum in, in, the, in the Buffalo area, North Tonawanda, history museum. And they thought, you know, look, we don't do much with native, uh, uh, native issues, so we'll have a native speaker come in and we'll talk about native history. And I told them, look, I don't have a problem talking about native history, native culture, but I don't want to continue to fan that, that same um, flame that suggests that we are only a people of the past. So I'll talk about history and I'll talk about culture, but I want to bring it forward. I want to bring it to who we are now. I want to frame that history in a such a way that people understand who we are today. And that's what gets missed. There's nobody being taught contemporary Native issues in school. I mean, even when they, even, like I've got grandkids that take Iroquois studies in their, in their public school. They're still going to look at it in terms of the past. They won't 
talk about our, our battles with New York State over taxation, our battles with New York State over gaming, our battles with New York State over, you know, again, the mascot issue. They're not going to talk about any of that stuff. They're going to they're gonna talk about the Klan system. They're not going to talk about where it went and why it went. They're not going to talk about the federal legislation that was aimed at, at destroying traditional uh, culture and governance, the Indian Reorganization Act, the Citizenship Act, all of these things that, that was, were an attempt to, to make us U.S. citizens. And how did that impact us? I mean, uh, you know, the residential schools, the, the fact that, that our children were ripped from our families and sent to these schools all over the place. Carlisle, Pennsylvania, right here on the Cattaraugus Territory, the Seneca Nation, the, the Thomas Indian Schools. Some were state um, uh, funded, like like Thomas Indian Schools. Some were federally funded, like like Carlisle Indian Schools. But we, you know, th there were hundreds of these things all over the United States, and hundreds more on the Canadian side, where indoctrination, forced indoctrination into, into Christianity, and the idea of obliterating our culture was a part of that. They aren't teaching that in Iroquois studies. They aren't teaching that in the museums. There's no Holocaust museum for Native people. And look, museums are part of that media landscape. They are. I mean, I, I know people think media now is it's such a narrow focus that people have about what is or isn't media. But it's important that we understand that any time that you're creating a narrative about a subject matter or a people, that's, that's still media. And whether it's tied to social media, whether it's YouTube videos, look, right now we, we can watch documentaries. Now we got streaming services, right? We don't just have cable. Our, te our television is hooked directly to the internet. And we can stream Netflix or um, Disney Plus or uh, Prime Video or... Um, HBO Max, we can, we can uh, Hulu, we can, we can stream all of these services and they are totally populated with documentaries and, um, you know, reality TV shows and, you know, and, and films that go back, you know, back to the 60s. You, you can find almost anything on there. But even as we've, we as Native people have pierced that veil, and created some native programming, both on the Canadian side and the U.S. side. And, you know, I, I know there's, you know, the Reservation Dogs and Dark Winds, which is kind of a retake or a remake of some of Tony Hillerman's old, uh, you know, novels. And, and there's native um, producers and directors and actors. And, and so there's real, there's a sense of authenticity associated. But you know what? Those are the exception to the rule. We still see... You know, we, we still see slapstick comedy, Adam Sandler, you know, making ridiculous, offensively ridiculous um, uh, films where, where Native people are, 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 are portrayed just absolutely badly. Some people even walked off the set from what I understood. Uh, but, but we still see it. And, of course, all of that old stuff is still there. You can still watch Beverly Hillbillies. You can still watch F Troop. You can still watch all that stuff on, uh, on your computer, on your, on your laptop, on your phone. So none of that stereotypical stuff goes away. And out of that, it, it leads me back to a conversation about mascots. And, and, and here you have predominantly non-native schools 
or sports teams, pro professional sports teams, you know, it was college teams, not so much anymore. But you have all of these, these non-native groups of people that grab one of those stereotypical images from Hollywood, from television, you know, from you know, uh, James Fenimore Cooper, whoever. And they say, okay, that's what's got, we're, we're gonna work now. We're gonna be the Warriors. We're gonna be the Redskins. We're gonna be the Savages. We're gonna be the Red Raiders. We're gonna be the Indians. We'll be the Mohawks, the Navajos, the Lakota, whatever. They, they'll they'll grab any kind of name, and that's what they'll claim to be. And they don't mean that they're gonna claim it as their team name. What happens when Native people are used for mascots is there's almost like an identity theft that happens here. Where these white people say, "No, I I'm an Indian. I've I've you know I've I've been an Indian since kindergarten. Because your school had a mascot, and and every one of those mascots is a port is some sort of representation of a of a usually an 18th century or uh, or 19th century native depiction, depending on whether they're going to grab something from you know, the, the plains or from something from the East Coast. It's always going to be, you know, more often than not, it was always the Plains Indian headdress. It didn't matter where the school was, what the team was, and what the name was, whether it was a chief or, you know, Indians or whatever, it was always going to be the Plains Indian headdress. And you know what? We were so affected by that, by that Hollywood creation of our Native identity that we even, I, I saw Haudenosaunee people wearing Plains Indian headdresses back in the 50s and the 60s. We know better now, but that's how much we have been, that we ourselves have been impacted. So when, when people say, well, I know Native people who don't have a problem with, uh, you know, with the, with the Washington Redskins. Yeah, we also had Native people, you know, who were mixing cultures because of what your, your identity theft, what, what your definition of what a Native person was. But today we know better. Today we know what mockery is. We know what identity theft is. We know what misappropriation is. But again, back to a conversation about media. We don't have much representation in the media. Look, as I said, I'm grateful for you know, the, the couple of Pacifica stations that, that allow my program to be, you know, be a part of their lineup. But it's a very small part of that lineup. And yeah, you know, and, and it's hit or miss. I mean, I don't, I don't know how many people listen to this program. I, I know I can, I can check views on my Facebook live stream, and you know that might be five, six, seven hundred people. But I'm on two media platforms in two of the biggest markets on the East Coast. I, I mean, ten million people plus in the New York City area. You know, not that many in Washington, but still, it's still a, a major media market. But I don't think I've got 10,000 listeners. I know that I'm not a viral sensation by any stretch of that, <laughs> that definition. And it's not necessarily what I'm striving for. Again, the, the problem is that, that media is now driven by money. I don't do this because I get paid. I mean, I have a couple of sponsors that, that help me do what I do. I'm, I'm provided you know, um, airtime on WBAI and WPFW and, and whatever other affiliates will plug me into their, into their grid. So I don't buy that airtime. But 
I also have to do some lifting for them, and I got to help them fund, fund their programs or fund their stations. And so while it's not paid programming, there's a certain expectation that, I'm, that I will generate revenue for them. So, so even here on the Pacifica platforms, money is an issue. And, and, and actually part of our diminished listenership is because of our lack of funding, because of our, our lack of creativity when it comes to uh, creating revenue flow for this struggling media platform. And, and look, we are, we are fortunate to, to still be doing it. But you, you can't help sometimes feel like if we don't tweak some things, if we don't come up with some better means for, for funding what we do here, and I'm not, not talking about funding me, I mean funding the radio stations, funding Pacifica, you know, there, there's a lot of question marks on 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 on, on what our <laughs> you know what our prospects for the future are. So we have to look at. Obviously, we can cross over. You know, obviously, we we can do radio and we can make it into podcasts. As I do, I put it on social media. Um, but Pacifica has to do some of that. The, the individual stations have to do that. I can do, it, do that as a, as a show host or a producer because I've been kind of doing, you know, radio and, and this kind of thing longer than I've been on, uh, on WBAI. But we have to be creative. We have to f- come up with, with other ways to make sure we can sustain ourselves because the media landscape has changed so dramatically. I mean, it, it has changed incredibly so, I mean, it, and, and it hasn't gotten better. I, you know, look, some of the quality of, of, the, of the high-end production stuff, that some of what you're seeing on, on streaming and even some of the stuff you see on YouTube, look, even, even the amateur stuff on TikTok videos and, and Instagram, look, some of the quality of the, of the, uh, of the product has gotten better. But has the content I mean, have we really improved? Have, are we really communicating something that has value, <clears throat> social value? Or are we just trying to create another step in a rabbit hole that somebody jumps into when, they, when they're on their smartphone? I don't suspect there are a whole lot of people who jump onto my, you know, my YouTube channel or on my, on my Facebook page and say, you know what? I liked what he said. I'm going to go back. I'm going to. I'm going to watch the, the last ten broadcasts that he did. You know, I I would love if people did that, but I. Uh, but I don't think that's really happening. I don't see the numbers ticking up after you know after a week or so. The you know everything kind of levels off. Every once in a while, somebody will pull something out of the archive, I guess, or and you know they'll dust it off. Somebody will make a comment or somebody will post something. I've had a few people. You know, because of the YouTube videos, especially the short videos that I did, um, that have used it. I, I had a, a, a college, a university down in, in the Southwest that, that used um, a video that I did on the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act and, and used it in his class. Uh, I, the, the video that I've done on, on the mascot issue has gotten, you know, you know, pretty good play, at least for my videos anyway. I mean, we're talking about, you know, seven or 8,000. You know, I, I've had a few videos that may have, may have uh, top 10,000 views, but I'm not topping, I'm not getting millions of views. (laughs) So I'm not anywhere near, you know, what, what people are getting with their, you know, 
their cooking videos and their squirrel videos and their cat videos. No, I'm, I'm, that's, that's not what I do. But because I don't do that, how sustainable is it? Look, I can, I can do this. I can sit at, in my own little studio here and produce um, podcasts and, and um, YouTube videos and, and Facebook live streams. I can, I can do this without a whole lot of resources. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty much only doing something once a week. I, I kind of let my Let's Talk Native podcast you know, go a little bit. I've got to, I, I keep, I keep insisting I'm going to turn that corner and go, go back to doing that one, on a weekly basis. But this is what I'm doing. I'm doing my resistance radio show podcast live stream um, once a week. So I can, I can do this without a whole lot of resources. But am I really reaching people? Am I really changing what people are defining as native people? I mean, am I, am I helping with our identity crisis, a crisis that was, you know, that really was created not by us, but we fell victims to our own identity crisis because of what the media has done, what history books have done, what literature has done, what television has done, what film has done, what mascots have done. I mean, we have become victims of this stuff because our own identity, the fact that, that there, there is a number of Native people who will actually fight to keep Native mascots, and I'm not just talking about the lunatics that are, that are trying to get the Washington commanders to go back to their old name. Look, I successfully pushed through with not a lot of help, but with help from you know, some of the families in my old high school in Cambridge, New York, the creation of a ban not through the legislature, not through the governor's office, but through the Department of Education, the State Department of Education. We got a ban on, on mascots. And there's, and there's one school, one school in New York State that's going to keep its native mascot. And they're keeping it because the Seneca Nation gave them permission. I'm not saying the Seneca people did, but I'm saying the president of the Seneca Nation, Ricky Armstrong, said, okay, we're going to let them keep it. Because when we created the ban, we left open the option that if a native, you know, a, a nation, a, a federally recognized nation grants permission for a school because somehow they do it right, um, then the New York State Department of Education would defer that judgment and that permission, that waiver, I guess you would say. So the only school in New York State that will keep a native mascot keeps it because the president of the Seneca Nation said they could. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a slap in the face. And look, I know some Senecas who are pissed off about it. I also know a fair amount of Senecas who say, yeah, but the school's kind of on our territory. It's, yeah, it's a city school. It's the city of Salamanca. Um, but we own the city of Salamanca, essentially, the, the real estate. So it's a school that's on our land. Yeah, we only we're still the minority in that school. It's still 70%, 80% white. But, um, but it's kind of ours. Is it? Is it? I mean, this is how much we have been impacted by the misappropriation of our images. And the crazy part is the Salamanca, they call themselves the Warriors. Their logo isn't even a warrior. It's a, it's, a, it, it's a depiction of what a Seneca chief would have looked like, an 18th century or 19th century Seneca chief. 
So not only, so it's a misappropriation in the first place, one that now we've somehow given permission to, but it's also a misrepresentation because the word doesn't even match the logo. But the logo was created by, by a local artist, and he admits it. He, he says, look, I didn't draw a warrior. I drew a chief. So the chief that you drew is now being passed off as a warrior because it's a school mascot? I mean, so why is this? Well, I do, I have to go back. I, I got to blame the media because that's how we're impacted. We're so impacted by what um, history books have, have, have taught children. Because look, in most of these schools, and I'll give, I'll give Salamanca some, some credit. I mean, obviously, they, they at least teach some native history. But again, are they bringing it contemporary to, 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 to today? I, I saw um, uh, Every Child Matters um, posters, but are they really teaching about the residential schools? Are they really getting into it? Are they talking about the atrocities that the churches committed against native children? I mean, yeah, I, I, I see all the handprints. I put my hands up because that's what the orange shirt day for, you know, for children, lost children. We get missing and murdered indigenous women, red, red shirt day. But are we really addressing these issues at a level to affect change? And, and do we explain how we got here? How do we get from being the, 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 the population of this of this landmass to having our children ripped away and sent to these boarding schools where they were killed, where they were tortured, beaten, abused, sexually abused, physically abused, psychologically abused. How do we get there? And what do we do about it now? I can't get anybody in the media, and when I say media, I'm not just talking about news media, but it is impossible to have a conversation that says, don't talk to me about truth and reconciliation. Talk to me about truth and restoration for what you took. Now, you can't give us our lives back. You can't even really give the lives back to those lives you not just took, but destroyed. But our autonomy, our identity, our distinctions, sovereignty... That's what you continue to try to take away. That's what, the, that was, that's what the purpose of residential schools were. It was to diminish us. It was to erase us as a distinct people. That was the whole purpose. And your policies continue that. But I can't get the media to report on this. Anybody. Not NPR. Not the local NPR station. You know, look, I'm glad Reservation Dogs is a, is a, is a show that's out there and they'll do eight episodes a year and and they'll, they're going to address some of this stuff. But it's not enough. Because if you're going to ask me about media, the media, we're almost non-existent there. I'm grateful to be able to do this. And, I, and, I, and I'm grateful to WBAI and WPFW and, and other Pacifica affiliates, affiliates for giving me space on the grid. I said it before and again, I can't, I can't express how grateful I am. But we're also a, a very troubled network whose future is really at risk 
I'm going to do this on, on the Pacifica stations as long as I can. As long as Pacifica will have me. As long as Pacifica will have itself. Look, we're in a constant battle for funding. So let me use this opportunity and this segue into, uh, in try, into trying to convince people to support your Pacifica station. I started on WBAI, filling in for another program until I got my own. Uh, been doing radio on WBAI for, for over 10 years. I've been doing radio back here um, in Western New York uh, for longer than that. So I ask that you support the Pacific Station, WBAI, WPFW, and any other Pacific, Pacific affiliate, affiliate that's carrying this program. Even if you're listening on, on Facebook, if you're watching this show on Facebook live stream, I'm still asking you to support the Pacific Station. If you're catching the show as a podcast, just an audio podcast, if you go to your smart speaker and say, Alexa, play Resistance Radio with John Kane podcast, it'll, it'll come up. But as you hear that podcast, I'm not asking you to send me money. I'm asking you to support the, the radio stations that, that, are, that are putting me on the air. Because they're the ones that are at risk. I, like I said, I can keep doing this. I can keep doing this for, for almost nothing. I still have to figure out a way to support my family. But I can do this for almost nothing. But we have to, we have to fight back. And, I, you know, and I'm, I'm not going to talk about all of the other programming on the Pacific Network. I, I can't attest to it one way or the other. But I know where no one else has given me a platform for a Native perspective on Native issues and contemporary issues that affect us all, Pacifica has. And look, I'd love to see more networks. And, and look, I, I'm working on something with Free Speech TV. I'm working on uh, something with News Forum on the Canadian side to, to do more. But media has not been our friend. As much as some of you will listen to this program and say, man, I'm so glad to hear this. Then you got to do your part to make sure you can keep hearing this. So again, support your Pacifica stations, WBAI, WPFW, go to their websites. Um, you can click the donate button. Look, you can, it's so easy now. Every smartphone is a computer. You can go online with your smartphone. You can, you can search WBAI. You can search WPFW. You can search Pacifica. And you can make donations to the, uh, to the network and to those stations. We can't talk about media without talking about the jeopardy that media is in. And, and, and I say media, it, 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 the jeopardy I'm talking about is for what we've had. Look, you know, WBI has been on the air for over 60 years. But it, it's not guaranteed for another 60. In fact, understanding the, the change that has come over media, the likelihood is we won't be here for another 60 years. I know I won't be here for another 60 years. But we've got to keep transitioning. We, we've, got to, we've got to evolve. The stations have got to evolve. You as listeners to this program, whether you're catching us again on, on Facebook, on you know, podcasts, 
or on the radio or streaming on the radio. Because look, you know, I say you can you can ask your smart speaker to, to play um, Resistance Radio with John Kane, but you can also ask your smart speaker to, to play WBAI. You don't need a radio. Yeah, you can ask your you, series connected to your to, to your phone. You can you can listen to anything you choose. The beauty of a, of a radio station, and they, that's why they call it broadcast. Michael G. Haskins always saying, "We we can throw out this information into the ether." That's broadcast. Narrowcast is when you when you when you're online and somebody has to search you. Or you're a podcast and somebody has to search you. That that's not a broadcast. That's that's you giving a specific line that somebody can follow to, to listen to you. And when we talk about media historically, we know that what, what news used to be, and it's not anymore. I mean, news was carved out of the taxpayer-funded broadcast networks, and they said, okay, you're going to provide an hour of news. Well, at some point, that turned into entertainment. But it wasn't the only entertainment, and it wasn't the only thing that was, that was out there creating media. The networks themselves, television was, is a media source. Film, Hollywood. I mean, it's, it's all creating data that is impacting how we think. And from a native perspective, every image that you who are listening to this show today have has been formed and framed by what television, movies, and even literature has done over the years. And none of it is our perspective. None of it has been. I mean, we didn't, until very, very recently, there were no native directors. There are no native producers of film or television. Yeah, there's a few out there now. A little bit of partnering with Robert Redford and Sundance Film, uh, film Institute. Yeah, there's, there's a little. But we are in a sea of amateur media producers. And it is very hard to be recognized. You know, that's why, like I said, I'm... I'll get six or seven hundred views to my Facebook live stream. I'm not going to get a million. I'm not going to get ten thousand or a thousand. So, I guess what what I'm asking, I'm not just asking you to support your Pacifica stations. What I'm asking you to do is to share it. Look, if you see this this video on Facebook or on YouTube or you know or a podcast. Convince your friends and your relatives to, to give it a listen. And, and look, I'm not saying somebody's got to follow me religiously. But if you hear a particular program that intrigues you, share it. We've, look, I don't think me asking you to do that is going to create you know, a viral moment. But it could. And... I don't want to press the people who listen to this show every week to send more money. I will press you to create more listenership for us. Let the word of mouth, I mean, look, that's, that's the most powerful thing we have left. 
we're like I said, we're in a sea of all kinds of, of, of information out there. How do we rise above? Well, I'm not trying to be above anybody else. But if we're going to survive, we need more listeners. And our best resource for creating more listeners are the listeners that we have. So I'm asking, I'm asking that you um, share the programs. Yeah, and, and look, and not just this, if, you're, if there's another program on, on this same station, the same platform that you think is going to intrigue a friend or a relative or an acquaintance or an educator. I mean, look, what I try to talk about here, I think is, uh, is enough substance that, that it should be something that enters into a, a social studies class or a, a political science course or, you know, or, or some, some other venue. Look, we, you know, I, I can't help but, but note the success of the 1619 Project. And now it ha it's, it's streaming online. There, there's a whole a streaming uh, channel associated with the 1619 Project. But what are we up against? <clears throat> well, let's be clear what we're up against. We're up against the culture wars. And those culture wars are, they've coined phrase like wokeness and cancel culture. They've, they've condemned what, they're, what they've redefined as critical race theory, which is teaching anything that might make a white person feel guilty for the past or the, or the present. They, they condemn this DEI programming that, uh, look, there was a big push. Ten years ago, there was a big push, not just for schools, you know, grade schools, high school, middle schools, high schools, colleges, but industry. Corporations all across the country were adopting DEI. And in case you don't know, it's Diversity, Equity, Inclusion Program. <clears throat> now, I'm not saying these programs are great, but at least it's a bit of a shift. And you know what? I don't want to just be, as, as far as a Native person, I don't want to be included in your diversity program or in what you're perceiving as equity. I'm not looking for equality in the American system. I'm looking for distinction. Not, and, and I don't necessarily, I'm not even looking for inclusion. But I know when you talk about DEI, you're not just talking about Native people. In fact, you're probably not talking about Native people. You're talking about people who want to be Americans and they want, to, they want equal rights within the American system. They want their constitutional rights. And the fact that there is there's a program that is geared towards equality and equity and inclusion and diversity, and that's being condemned by the right because they, they tie diversity, equity, inclusion to, uh, to, to critical race theory, to cancel culture, to wokeness, and even the mascot issue. And the mascot issue got sucked in big time to, uh, to these culture wars. So this is what we're up against. And look, if you're listening to this program, you know how I feel about the right. And, and the likelihood is the other programs that are on this, these stations uh, are, are saying much of the same thing. But the problem is those folks on the left aren't doing us any favors either. Racism is not a right thing. It's a white thing.
we don't just need diversity in in the in the ranks of employees if if we if we don't have native people and other marginalized people involved in management and involved in programming decisions and i don't mean just on the radio station i mean i mean everywhere and i don't mean that that we have to be indoctrinated to be a part of that look deb hallen nice lady but you know what she works for the white guy in the white house that's who she works for she doesn't work for us anybody who thinks that deb hallen as the first native cabinet secretary yeah she broke a glass ceiling for herself she didn't she didn't break a glass ceiling for us look even getting elected as a congresswoman white people voted for her. I'm not saying no native people did of course native people but, but we don't represent a, a large enough voting block anywhere to impact even you know even local elections not really look I live here in the Seneca Nation territory of Catarangas Seneca people don't even really come out for their own elections. I mean, a, a nation that has, you know, almost 8,000 quote-unquote members, you might get 2,000 people to show up, uh, up for an election. They sure as hell aren't running out to, to vote for, you know, Hillary Clinton or Joe Biden or Donald Trump or, or Kathy Hochul. No, that's, that's, not, not, that's not what you see here. So we are a distinct people, but it doesn't mean that we should be isolated in the awareness that people have towards us. And in fact, if we don't stand up to our use, the use of our images for mascots or for, you know, hokey TV sitcoms or, you know, or, or, or frankly, you know, even, even some of the the, the streaming services that are out there. Look, there's a, there's a lot of um, programs that are historical in nature. I was watching one about Vikings and Leif Erikson. <laughs> but I would suspect that if a big dollar studio produces, you know, some sort of historical narrative about Native people, that they're going to get a lot of it wrong. And it's going to be stereotypical. And that's media, folks. That is the state of media. I am grateful, as I said, to have this opportunity to, to occupy a one-hour time slot on these Pacifica stations. But it's not enough. I don't mean it's not enough for me. I'm just saying it's not enough in that vast pool of information that is streaming across the internet on any given moment. There has to be more awareness about who we are for you to understand who we are. I mean, you, 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 there has to be more information out there. And we can't just keep telling the same narrative about who we were 200 years ago. I think understanding who we were 200 years ago informs who we are today. But if nobody ever connects those threads, 
and I've talked about siloing. And when I say siloing, I still th find it incredible that we can only now recently have a conversation about the Tulsa massacre. And we can now only recently have a conversation about the Osage murders and not ever acknowledge that they happened at the same time, 30, 40 miles apart. How can we talk about the Tulsa massacre and the Osage murders and not connect that thread somehow to white supremacy and racism? And I realize that they're different stories, but they happen in the same freaking place for crying out loud. And that has been how American history has always isolated Native people into a postage stamp, time stamped period that somehow came before discovery and in the midst of colonialism without even talking about the atrocities that colonialism represented. Because you're going to talk about colonialism and then you're going to spin it on its head. You're going to talk about Pocahontas and John Smith, which isn't even true. The story isn't even true. Not, not the way the history books uh, depict it. And if you're not going to tell the truth about where Native people fit into chattel slavery, transatlantic slave trade, where, where Native people fit in to this idea of breeding slavery in captivity. Yeah. Oh, instead we're going to say, oh, well, you know, Native people had slaves too. You know what? Haudenosaunee didn't. And I don't know what that story is about who the Native people that people are quick to claim had held slaves. Because Native people were being held for slaves too. So I don't know exactly how that works. And you know, I, I, there's, there's probably some evidence that black people had slaves too. I, and I, but that's not the narrative. That, that isn't even really part of the overall conversation that needs to be had. What needs to be had is how we are here today with such racial inequity and disparity and how it connects to, to the chattel slave in, slavery industry. How it connects to the genocide of Native people. How it connects to what, what our children endured at residential schools. And what our women are still enduring in terms of missing and murdered Indigenous women. Sex slavery. All of this stuff. I've listened to politicians condemn the very concept that they allowed us to live on reservations. And that, that somehow that is the problem that Native people have, is that we, the white men, allowed them to live on reservations. That's the problem. Not the poverty that was created through policy. Not all of the, the legislation and the taking and taking and taking of everything from our people, our women, our children, our resources, our land, our culture. We're not going to own any of that. We're just going to say, we allowed them to live on reservations. We created reservations for them. And now look at them. I mean, this is the conversation that takes place. But nobody wants to own how it is that, the, that we live in third world conditions on most native territories. 
I mean, I live here on the Cattaraugus territory of Santa Nation, and they have a burgeoning, you know, a successful gaming operation. Of course, they got to give half the money to New York State through coercion. But still, 30% of the Seneca population lives below the poverty line. Even with their successful gaming. If they didn't have to give $2 billion over the last 20 years to New York State, that probably wouldn't be the case. But New York State doesn't care that Seneca's are living below the poverty line in spite of the fact that they've created this industry that New York State is the direct beneficiary of. But nobody wants to talk about that. No, we're going to talk about the Klan system. You don't need to know about the Klan system. We do. You don't need to know about the Guyana Rogoa, what people call the great law of peace. We do. Because that has been driven off of our, out of our minds. <clears throat> We're being taught truth, justice, and the American way. We walk into a gymnasium. And we're expected to take our hat off while they play the national anthem. That's what's expected of us. There's an expectation that we're going to enlist in the armed forces at a greater level than any other group of people in the United States. And we have. It doesn't make a lot of sense. But that's, but that's not the conversation that we're having. So when we talk about media... We better understand where it's been and where it is. I want to thank you for listening. I'm John Kane, and this is Resistance Radio. <laughs>